The following is a class given by His Holiness Jaya Pataka Swami Maharaj on April 27, 1980 at Marari Sabak Farm in Mulberry, Tennessee. The class begins with a reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 8th Canto, Chapter 21, Verse 9-23. through 23. When the Jamanic followers of Maharaja Bali saw that their master, who had been determined in performing sacrifice, had lost all his possessions to Vamanadev, who had taken them away on the plea of begging three paces of land, they were very angry and spoke as follows. Translation When the Jamanic followers of Maharaj Bali saw that their master, who had been determined in performing sacrifice had lost all his possessions to Vamanadev who had taken them away on the plea of begging three paces of land. They were very angry and spoke as follows. Navayanga Brahma Bandhur Vishnu Mayavinang Vara Dvijadu Prapatichano Devakaryang Chikir Shati. Translation This Vamana is certainly not a Brahmana. This Vamana. This Vamana oh, is certainly not a Brahmana, but the best of cheaters, Lord Vishnu, assuming the form of a Brahmana, he has covered his own form and thus he is working for the interest of the demigods. This Vamana is certainly not a Brahmana. This Vamana is certainly not a Brahmana. The best of cheaters. The best of cheaters. Lord Vishnu. Lord Vishnu. Assuming the form of a Brahmana. Assuming the form of a Brahmana. He has covered his own form. He has covered his own form. And thus he is working. And thus he is working. For the interest of the demigods. For the interest of the demigods. Text 11. Anena ya chamanena satruna vatupina. Sarvashwang no hitanga bhartut nyasta dandasya bhadhisi. Translation. O oh, our Lord, Bali Maharaja, because of his position, oh, our Lord Bali Maharaja, because of his position in performing the yajna, has given up the power to punish. Taking advantage of this, our eternal enemy Vishnu, dressed in the form of a Brahman chadi beggar, has taken away all his possessions. Translation. Our Lord Bali Maharaja, because of his position in performing the yajna, has given up the power to punish. Taking advantage of this, our eternal enemy Vishnu, dressed in the form of a brahmachari beggar, has taken away all of his possessions. 
Say this week through without repetition. Text 12 is Satya Vartasya Satatam Dikshitasya Visheshata Nanritang Abhashitung Sakyam Brahmanyasya Dayavata Translation, our Lord Bali Maharaj is always fixed in truthfulness. And this is especially so at present, since he has been initiated into performing a sacrifice. He is always kind and merciful toward the Brahmanas, and he cannot at any time speak lies. Tasmarasya bado dharma bhartu susru shanang chaya chana itya yuddha nijagrihur bale ranu charasura Therefore, it is our duty to kill this Vamana Dev, Lord Vishnu. It is our religious principle and the way to serve our Master. After making this decision, the demanding followers of Maharaja Bali took up their various weapons with a view of killing Vamana Dev. Text 14. Te sarve vamanang hantung sula patti sapanaya anichanto vale rajan padravan jatamanyava Translation. O king, the demons, aggravated by their usual anger, took their lances and tridents in hand, and against the will of Bali Maharaj, they pushed forward to kill Lord Vamanadev. Tan abhidravato dishtva ditijani kapanipa prahasyanu charavishno pratyashedham udayudaha. O king, when the associates of Lord Vishnu saw the soldiers of the demons coming forward in violence, they smiled, taking up their weapons, they forbade the demons to continue their attempt. Nanda sunandata jayo vijaya prabhalo bhala kumuda kumudakshascha vishwakshena patatriyat jayanta suta devascha pushpadanto tasatvata Sarve Naga Yuta Pranas Jamunte Jagnorasurim Translation Nanda Sunanda Jaya Vijaya Prabala Bala Kumuda Kumudaksha Vishwakshena Patatdirat Garuda Jayanta Sutta Deva Pushpadanta and Satvata were all associates of Lord Vishnu. They were as powerful as 10,000 elephants and now they began killing the soldiers of the demons. Hanyamanan svakan drishtva purushan ucharai bali varayamasasangrabdan kabhyasapa manusmaram When Bali Maharaj saw that his own soldiers were being killed by the associates of Lord Vishnu, he remembered the curse of Sukracharya and forbade his soldiers to continue fighting. Hey Viprachite, hey Raho, hey Neme Sruyatang Vacha, Mayudyata Nivarta Dwang, Nana, Kalo Yang Artakrit. Oh Viprachiti, oh Rahu, oh Nemi, please hear my words. Don't fight. Stop immediately. For the present time is not in our favor. Ya Prabhu Sarabhutanang Sukaduko Patap Sukaduko Papataye Tanganati Varti Tungdaitya Paurushari Swarapuman. O Daityas, by human efforts no one can supersede the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who can bring happiness and distress to all living entities. 
यौन भवाय प्रागाशित अभवाय दिवाखशा the supreme time factor which represents the supreme person was previously in our favor and not in the favor of the demigods but now that same time factor is against us balena sachivair buddhya durgair mantra shodadivi samadivir upayas upayais cha kalam natyeti Vajana. No one can surpass the time representation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead by material power, by the counsel of ministers, by intelligence, by diplomacy, by fortresses, by mystic mantras, by drugs, by herbs, or by any other means. Text 23. Bhavad Bir Mirjita Yete Bahusho Nucharahare Daive Nardhaista Evadya Yudhi Jitva Nadantina Previously being empowered by providence, you defeated a great number of such followers of Lord Vishnu. But today those same followers having defeated us are roaring in jubilation like lions. Translation with repetition. Previously being empowered by providence. Previously being empowered by providence. You defeated a great number of such followers of Lord Vishnu. But today those same followers having defeated us are roaring in jubilation like lions. Purport. Bhagavad Gita mentions five causes of defeat or victory. Of these five, Daiva, providence is the most powerful. Nacha Daivat Parang Balam. Bali Maharaja knew the secret of how he had formerly been victorious because providence was in his favor. Now since that same providence was not in his favor, there was no possibility of his victory. Thus, very intelligently, he forbade his associates to fight. Thus end the purport by divine grace the A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Sila Prabhupada ki Bali Maharaj ki Ramana Dev ki Vishwakshena ki Vishnu Parshad ki Sangaveda Bhakta Vrindo ki So, today we're reading the history of Bali Maharaj's post-capture era. how the demons had defeated the demigods because the will of providence was on their side is well documented. Now we see that the time has changed. So Bali Maharaj was intelligent enough to see that when the time is against you, there is no use in wasting time and trying to fruitlessly preserve a lost position. This understanding of how time is working is something which modern man could well use. Unless one is able to get on the good side of providence, there is no hope 
if the American people think that always the good providence will be on their side just due to some birthright, then they are foolish. Similarly, if any other people think that way, they are foolish. There is a secret for keeping providence on one side. The one secret, Bali Maharaj, how he got good providence on his side was by performing Vishnu Bhakti, by performing Vishnu Yajna, rather. Sacrifice to Vishnu. Yajna by Vishnu. By performing sacrifice to Vishnu, he was able to succeed. If there's any secret for the American nation's success, I would assume that that secret must be the religious fervor and austerity and sacrifice which the forefathers had originally performed in the United States when forming this country and worshiping in churches, which was why they originally had prayers in every church, in every school, and why even on the money today it says, in God we trust. As the people become more materialistic and think that there's no reason to do sacrifice to God, then providence will turn on them. As it has in any other great kingdom or great empire or great nation in the past. Providence does not stay with one for long. However, we see here that the demigods lost one time. Even the demons were able to win when they performed the sacrifice to Vishnu, to Krishna. But actually, the devotees that were mentioned here, the personal army of Vishnu, who are not demigods, they are personal associates of Vishnu. Nanda Sunanda Jaya Vijaya Prabala Bala Kumuda Kamudaksha Vishwakshena and Patatri Rat Jayanta Sutta Deva Pushpadanta and Satvata. They are the personal army of Vishnu. You've heard of Jai Vijay before. These are all very uh, great devotees in the temples of Ramanuja who worships Narayana and Mahavishnu. You'll find deities of all these soldiers of Vishnu, especially Viswakshena, Garuda, Jai Vijay, and other gatekeepers. They're all uh, glorified in these temples. Viswakshena, they say, is the uh, commander in chief. There's seven gateways. So the outer gate and the second, third, fourth, like that, there's the different gates. So depending on which gate they're at, there's two for each. And they have names like Jai Vijay, Bala, Subala, like that type. So, <clears throat> these associates, of course, they're simply serving Vishnu for his pleasure. Therefore, they don't lose. When they enter into the fight, then it means it's already over. But we see that Indra, <clears throat> even he sometimes loses. Because although Indra, Indra is an associate, he also is an associate of Vishnu. He's a devotee of Vishnu with material desires. While these others basically are not. 
someone with material desires is always subject to forget his position in relation to Vishnu. And if that happens, just as Indra committed a great offense against his spiritual master, Brihaspati, then one time even Indra became a pig. Sometimes Indra gets defeated. Sometimes different things happen because when someone is enjoying this material energy, the material energy has a way of intoxicating one and making one forget his relation with Krishna and making one neglect the devotional service to Vishnu. And thus if someone else does like Balimara did great sacrifice, then he developed more sukriti, he developed more pious strength. These great warriors in the battlefield of Kurukshetra or the Ramayana, it was not simply physical prowess. It's not physically possible for someone to have the strength of 10,000 elephants. 16-year-old boys would go in the battlefield and fight against you. Why? They would perform huge tapasya, these kshatriyas. Arjuna stood on his, uh, on his, uh, I believe it was on his toes also, just like Hiranyakashipu, for a, a similar, not exactly the same, I believe he stood on one leg or something. It was a very difficult penance, meditation, to worship Lord Shiva, to get from him some special weapons. The Khatriyas would do special penances and get special divinely empowered weapons, missiles, chariots, all different kinds of uh, equipment, plus even mystic powers and uh, divine blessings. This was the way the Kshatriyas, they would come veritably armed with all type of uh, <coughs> supernatural powers and supernatural weapons into these wars. That's why you could see like Abhimanu, a 16-year-old boy, he could fight with uh, so many Maharatis and different, and they could fight ordinarily, just ordinary foot soldiers, thousands and thousands. They could fight against Akshahini. So it was dependent upon not only the military training, which was also part, but even the military training was based upon controlling airs, knowing mantras. They were able to... Uh, control so many subtle factors of their body. In this way, these uh, Maharatis and Atiratis and Ratis who are able to fight against uh, hundreds, thousands and even tens of thousands of people depending on their... It wasn't only that they just were... Uh, was it Bruce Lee's or something? They learned karate. You see, they were actually accomplished uh, type of yoga practice for developing these uh, powers and thus they were, had uh, willpower over matter. They had developed certain mystic power. They had, these weapons were, were imbibed with, uh, with uh, various type of uh, mystic power. And this way, their fighting was uh, highly technical and highly empowered. They got the blessings of, uh, of Krishna or of demigods. And this way they were able to fight and become invincible. Just like Hiranyakashipu, he got the blessing that he couldn't be killed by day or by night, by land or in the sea. Ravana, he had some blessing like that, that he couldn't be killed by any demigod. 
or by any uh, demigod, by any demon, any animal? No, man, man is insignificant. He didn't think that to ask that a man couldn't kill him. He was too puffed up. So he said any demigod and any demon. And maybe, I think that was all he was worried about. So he never said man. So Rama, he appeared as a man. Krishna appeared as Rama. And that was his pastime as a man. Krishna is his pastime as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And Rama is his pastime as a man. Vamana is his pastime as a Brahmana. Matsya is his pastime as a fish. Varaha is his pastime as a boar. Kurma is his pastime as a tortoise. In each species he comes. So his pastime as a human was Rama. So... That's why he only accepted one wife. He didn't himself do so many, uh, just like Krishna expanded 16,000 times to, get, to enter into his palaces and then saw a million times to dance with the gopis. And Krishna did, uh, you won't find as many, apart from floating the rocks and a few things. Generally, Ramachandra, he... Uh, played the role as if he were a human being so that he could uh, get through the loophole in Ravana's uh, benediction to kill Ravana. But of course, actually, he was Krishna, come as a human being, as Ramachandra. He was the perfect king. And also the monkeys, because they were animals, so monkeys and humans were fighting against... uh, Ravana. Of course, other than Ravana, the other Rakshasas and other they didn't have any protection. So anyway, that's the point is that this um, Indrajit and these other men with Ravana, other great Rakshasas, they were also worshipping uh, and doing puja for uh, Durga, Kali, different, uh, to get certain powers so that they could fight. This was the natural uh, way that these uh, warriors would get, uh, you know, superpowers to be able to fight. Otherwise, uh, you can be two times or three times or five times or even maybe ten times more than another person. How can you be, uh, even in Calcutta, they have special guards at the jute mills who are, jute mills are like big factories that they produce, they take the jute and make carpets and things like that. So I went, I went to one jute mill and they had 12,000 employees working three shifts, 24 hours a day. So then I went there and then the personnel manager introduced me to all the guards who are all from other states. And the point about the guards, he said, this guard, he can take on six men. This one can take on ten. This one can take on 15 and this one can take on 25. They're strike busters. If the laborers try to do a strike, then one of these guys can take on so many. Accordingly, they were being paid. But, you know, I think 20 or 25 was the maximum that they could boast of. But that was, huh? 
25. Apparently the guy was pretty wild. So anyway, <laughs> dovetailing in material service, the uh, propensity of fighting. But we can see that in the how a person can be as powerful as 10,000 men or 10,000 LFLA. It was, of course, these Kaitriyas were huge and massive and had so much strength, but uh, physically, at the same time, the actual uh, superiority they would gain by, they would actually perform uh, austerities and sacrifices. So, whether they were demons or whether they were devotees, the Kaitriyas, they were, it's one of the rules that Kaitriyas are supposed to worship uh, demigods. The devotees, Kaitriyas, they worship demigods uh, as parts of Vishnu, especially the kings, just to establish the society. In the, in the past, they used to maintain that type of worship. It was allowed. <laughs> but they would worship Krishna or Vishnu in the supreme position. And uh, the demons, they generally wouldn't worship Vishnu. Bali Maharaj, being a devotee of Krishna, was an exception. He worshipped Vishnu, thus it was more easy for him to defeat Indra. The thing is that without the blessings of Krishna, without providence on one side, then it's not possible at all to succeed. One may have a good streak for 100 years or 1,000 years. It's known in history, as far as we can know, that there were so many big empires when they became hedonistic, when they became materialistic, they all decayed. They all fell apart. You know how the Romans were eating and then vomiting and again eating again and doing all kinds of things. And any civilization that becomes very materialistic, they fall apart. So, in the same way, the cultures that are on this world today, if they just become materialistic and lose touch with the spiritual purpose of life, then they'll fall apart. And if somebody thinks that educating the people in the values of spiritual life is a waste of time, those people are very foolish because it's the only thing which is going to protect the human civilization on this planet. Otherwise, the civilizations fall as they've always fallen in the past. And people like to say that history repeats itself, then why can't they understand that unless there's a spiritual rejuvenation, that today, these big countries, especially like America, they're going to fall because of becoming more and more materialistic, unless the people turn around and become spiritualized. So, when the time is against one, then it's useless to make a big offensive. That's another moral of this thing, is that when time is against you, then you should rather gather your strength and dig in, so to speak. To make an offensive, one has to have some reserve strength. And if another person is very strong, and it's like the moth going into the fire. So similarly, at different times, one has to be able to read what is the present situation. And when is the time to dig in? And when is the time to expand? When is the time to make a strong offensive? Just like Srila Prabhupada said, if someone prematurely 
things to enter into some kind of an offensive uh, action, then the stronger party can destroy that. So one has to be able to understand when is the proper time and make accordingly the uh, offensive move or conversely the defensive move. So at this time, Bali Maharaj could correctly understand the time is against me and these fools, why they're attacking Vishnu? You cannot defeat Vishnu. Vishnu's materialistic associates like Indra, we may defeat them because they're very puffed up and if if they make mistake, we can defeat them. That's possible. But we can defeat Vishnu himself. So he's calling out his men. And Bali Maharaj, as the king of the demons, he's taking his material duty as being a king of the demons and uh, he's fulfilling that. As the king of the demons, he's supposed to fight against the demigods. Alright, so he fought against them. Now he lost so now, he's telling not to fight. But actually at heart, he's a, he's a devotee. But if he didn't take the role of being the king of the demons, if he didn't fight against the demigods, if he didn't do, then he would no longer be the king of the demons. He couldn't have any authority. So he had to take that particular role, which was his birthright. And in that role, now we can see that in the future, it's Vishnu's plan that you're a devotee, you're the king of the demons, now you will engage the demons in the sacrifice of Vishnu, you'll engage the demons in devotional service. So even the demons can be engaged as devotees of Vishnu. Vishnu is actually impartial, but the demons, they think that the Supreme Lord is favoring the demigods. Actually, the Lord favors the demigods in material affairs because in material affairs, the demigods <coughs> confirm. <laughs> the demigods support Vishnu's plan. But, and the demi and the demons, they always oppose Vishnu's plan in the material affairs for their own sense gratification. The demigods, they want sense gratification, but they want it. At the same time, they respect and accept the supremacy of Vishnu. While the demons, they don't accept that anyone is supreme. They're basically like mayavadis. They think that no one ultimately is supreme. Vishnu is also somehow or another not supreme. This is their misconception. There's no supreme God. Ultimately, there's simply laws of nature or some kind of evolution or something. Vishnu may be on the top of the ladder, but they can also become Vishnu one day in the future, something like that. This is the basic uh, idea of the demons. Much like we find today that people think that there's no God, God is dead, that... Uh, we'll become immortal, or we can become all-powerful. The, the demonic civilization has a similar idea today. So in this world, Prabhupada said, there's always these demons and there's the demigods. And the demons and the demigods, they're the bad and the good. They're always opposed against each other. But actually, Krishna is neutral. He's actually not on either side. 
But for material affairs, if the demigods, they ask him to help, so he'll help them. And as a general rule, the, diva, the demons, they won't ask Krishna to help because they don't have faith in Krishna. So he doesn't help. But actually he's neutral. And in spiritual matters, whether a person is a demigod or a demon, by birthright or by nature, if the person surrenders to the Lord, he'll give him shelter. Just like Bali Maharaj was ultimately given shelter, Prahlad, and so many others. Chitraketu, when he took birth again as a demon, then uh, we could see that how, as a demon, uh, what was his name? Is that demon? Vishwa. Vittasur. Vikasur? Vitrasur. That he was preaching pure Krishna consciousness to uh, Indra. While Indra was concerned about maintaining his material position as the king of heaven, Vitrasur was simply trying to do his duty, which was he was conjured up as the enemy of, uh, as Indra's enemy or whatever. And uh, he wanted to actually go back to uh, Godhead and he understood that was the real purpose of life was to develop pure shelter of Krishna. So, in this way we see a strange situation where the good and the bad are opposed to each other and the long run providence always stands with those even materialists who are actually of the demigod nature, who believe in God and who uh, perform sacrifice to God. But if they neglect God, if they neglect to worship uh, and uh, follow religious principles, they become more materialistic and they start acting just like the demons. Then the demons who are generally just a shade less powerful than the demigods, then they get the upper hand. Krishna allows that happen so that the then we guys get reminded again that they have to take shelter of Krishna. So, we're seeing the scene set where although still they haven't taken off the coins and God we trust in America, but people more and more are becoming dependent upon their money, upon their strength. And so, as a result, we hear that how the dangers in so many fronts are increasing, but they still can't see the writing on the wall unless they actually depend and simply surrender to God, to Krishna, that they won't stand it, that they'll have to suffer great losses at the hands of demons in order to bring them around again to understand that without the shelter of Krishna, there's no shelter at all. This material shelter is just like a sand castle that can fall at any moment. So actually, the devotees, they're completely neutral. The devotees are completely neutral. It appears that devotees are demigods, but actually the devotees are simply personal agents of Krishna. They're neither the uh, agents for the good guys or the agents for the bad guys. They can, they're willing to help good guys and bad guys, anyone become Krishna's devotees. The demons, they thought, oh, these are the enemies. This is the enemy. 
Vishnu and his personal associates. And so if they attack Vishnu, naturally then the devotees, they also defend Krishna and they kill demons who attack. Generally the devotees won't attack Vishnu, it's just the demons that attack. Even in a society of demigods, someone may be influenced by demoniac mentality. So we can see that these similar things happen even today in the world. We should not identify with the demigods, nor should we misidentify with the demons. Uh, I mean, we shouldn't identify with either the demigods or the demons. We should identify with Krishna. We should identify with the devotional service to Krishna, with being Krishna's personal agent, personal servant. This is our program. So that's why for the devotee it doesn't make a lot of difference what happens in the world. Of course a devotee wants that demigods should uh, when if the demigods will establish actual God consciousness in the world. But if the demigods become overcome by demoniac, by demoniac mentality, then it's very hard to differentiate. But in general, the devotees want to see the rule of God consciousness in the world. Therefore, they work to that end, wherever or however it can be achieved. So in that regard, Srila Prabhupada wrote so many different articles, Krishna conscious uh, communism, he also wrote articles on uh, America's heritage, that in any way that Krishna consciousness could be established, that God consciousness could be established, that we're willing to advise any group, whether they're apparently demigods, apparently demons, that ultimately if they become devotees, then they become greater even than the demigods, they become sadhus. But, uh, of course, generally speaking, the demigods are the ones who accept God consciousness. And even though it's offered to demons, by the very nature of their mentality, they fail to accept it and thus they lose. But the devotees are so liberal, they're willing to offer both demigods and demons the opportunity. The demigods wouldn't think of offering an opportunity to the demons because there's that enmity. But the devotees are very liberal in this regard. They're willing to offer even an enemy a chance to become a devotee. That's why great souls like Narada Muni are considered to be greater than the demigods. Because they're so liberal that they'll go even to the demons and offer them opportunity to be developed as pure devotees of the Lord. So in this age of Kali, the demonic influence is very great. It's so great. Kalodoshya that there's no good quality, it's an ocean of faults. 
There's no good quality except one. Hastiyaka, Mahanguna, Aka. One great quality. And that quality is not an ordinary quality, that's a great quality. Kirtanareva Krishna Syad. That's Krishna Kirtan. We should know that we're not this body. One may be born one time, just like a person is thinking the whole time he might be riding the missile launcher in America facing the missile over to Russia. He may be whole time Russia conscious. He may die there and next birth he may be born as a Russian. Because he was thinking of the Russian. Similarly, there may be Russians who are born as American and vice versa. Man, if he dies thinking of his wife, he takes birth as a woman. Woman dies thinking of her husband, she takes birth as a man. If you die thinking of Krishna, you go to Krishna. If you die thinking of the demigods, you go to the demigods. If you die in ignorance, you become a tree or an animal. Die in goodness, you become a demigod. Die in passion, you become a human being. All these laws of nature are very strict. So, we have to understand we're not the body. This body is conditioned from birth in the place that we were born, we have to transcend the conditioning and actually come up to our original consciousness, our Krishna consciousness. Then it's very easy to concentrate on Krishna when we leave the body and go back to our original position. People are naturally conditioned to think according to their body. Indra, when he became a pig, he couldn't remember he was an Indra. He could only relate as a pig. It's very hard for a person not to relate. Born in America, I'm an American. Born in India, I'm an Indian. Born in Russia, I'm a Russian. Born as a dog, I'm a dog. But the point is that we should understand that we're not the body. We're neither Russian, American, Canadian. We're actually pure spirit soul. Krishna Das, Anu Das, Anu Das. Jivar Sarupoy, Nitya Krishna Das. We're the eternal servant of Krishna. If we take that consciousness, then it's very easy to understand what is our duty, what is our requirement. We need the help of a devotee. Just for instance, Brihaspati wanted to come down and participate in the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, he took birth to Sarvabhama Bhattacharya in Navadvi. Before Lord Chaitanya came. But when he took birth in Navadvi, what happened was, because he was there before Lord Chaitanya, there were so many scholars in Navadvi that when he got all of the instructions from all the different scholars, he became converted into a Mayavadi. And he completely forgot what he was there for. So then he went to Jagannath Puri and he became the, the tutor, or the guru, the teacher for all the Mayavari sannyasis in Jagannath Puri. And he left Navadvi. So Lord Chaitanya used to go to school right near the house of Sarabhuma Bhattacharya. It's called Vidyanagara. But Sarabhuma had already left, so 
I believe Lord Chaitanya studied in the toll of Ganga Das Pandit, someone of that. And Lord Chaitanya would go there every day, crossing across the river, go through the bamboo forest, and then go and study. He'd sit under the trees. Those trees are still standing. We took the Parikram party there this year. Those trees, uh, nobody knows what kind of trees they are. As far as anyone knows, they're the only trees of their kind in the whole world. But of course, the Bengalis haven't been there anywhere else in the world, so they don't know that it might be somewhere else also. But they've never seen them anywhere in India. They're very, they flower all year round. They got not, they're just pretty unusual kind of trees. So, the same trees in the same place is still standing there. Then, of course, Lord Chaitanya, after he took sannyas, he went down to Jagannath Puri. And there he met Sarabhama Bhattacharya. Because, but Sarabhama, he couldn't understand the position of Lord Chaitanya on his own. Even after Lord Chaitanya chastised him in different ways, it was actually the mercy of Gopal, Gopal Acharya, Gopinath Acharya, Gopinath Acharya, his cousin brother, who, uh, or cousin brother or brother-in-law, something like some relation, on an equal level, that he was able to gradually gain some faith in Lord Chaitanya. And finally, by Lord Chaitanya's mercy, then he could understand that Lord Chaitanya himself was Krishna. You know how he was teaching Lord Chaitanya for seven days. All different uh, <clears throat> teachings from the Vedanta Sutra. Then Lord Chaitanya, he didn't say a word. Then he asked Lord Chaitanya, don't you understand? You know, you don't ask any questions. You can't understand what I'm saying? Because normally a person understands if some question would come up. I understand the verses perfectly. I just can't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> so then he said, what? Normally the verses are very difficult to understand and then you explain them so that makes them easier to understand. But he says, no, I understand the verses. It's just what you're saying is completely off the wall. I mean completely uh, unfathomable. So then uh, Sarabhuma was no, was no fool in one sense. I mean, he knew that what Lord Chaitanya was saying was a, a challenge. So then he said that, uh, then what is your uh, explanation? So then Lord Chaitanya explained that, well, in the Vedas, there's the direct interpretation, which is very clear and very easy to understand, but you're giving some indirect word jugglery that I can't uh, understand. And, and this way, Lord Chaitanya explained the Atmarama verse finally. And uh, that convinced Sarabhava Bhattacharya that Lord Chaitanya had some exceptional power. But finally, it was by Gopinath Acharya's blessing, actually, that Lord Chaitanya blessed Sarabhava Bhattacharya to understand. 
So, actually he was Brihaspati, he would come down. But because he had taken a human birth and he had this association, he was born in Navadvip with all the Pandits, he became entangled in Mayavadi philosophy. So even that's a danger. We may think, well, all right, next birth I'll take a birth as a devotee. Maybe even we were born in a family of devotees, but maybe not. Maybe we're born in a rich family. Even a person is a devotee, but he's born in a rich family, because of the whole intoxication of being born in a, in a, in a particular family with so many relatives and the culture and everything, a person can completely get entangled and forget that, forget all about his spiritual previous life, his devotional service. And even when the devotee meets him, it may be very difficult to convince him initially about the, the purpose of devotional service or why he should take it up until he gets over that false conditioning that he has. But once such a person gets over that covering, which was basically from only this life, then they take off very quickly in devotional service. So, there are many devotees in the Krishna conscious movement. Of course, if they're covered up, we can know that that they had to take birth in many cases was uh, because they didn't finish their devotional life in the last birth. So they should be very careful not to mess it up again in this life. Even if someone seems to gain some rapid progress in this life, possibly due to previous... Uh, birth, some residual uh, credit was there, or possibly due to some special mercy of Vaishnavas and spiritual masters. But one should not become uh, casual or take it for granted. But to be very careful because obviously one has taken birth and anything except for the most exceptional cases because there was some negligence in the previous birth. One was in the material world Otherwise, one wouldn't even be here. So one should be very careful not to make the same mistakes again and again to try to finish off in this life. Because when we take birth again, no matter how nice a birth it is, there's always a danger of various kinds of contamination. Of course, the best birth is when someone is born in a family of devotees. So the devotees, mother and father, should be very careful to try to give their children as uh, good an opportunity to become Krishna conscious as possible. So that they don't have to take birth again in the material world, so they can fix their mind on Krishna and go back to Godhead. We've seen that if a mother or father, they can do that, that assures their own perfection. Just as Dhruva Maharaj's mother, just by directing the child that looked for Krishna in the forest, she was considered the spiritual master and she was elevated back to the spiritual sky even before Dhruva. So even, I know in India there was one uh, parent, although he chanted 16 rounds, but uh, he put his son forward for initiation first said that I'm not so advanced, you should initiate my son. At least if my son can become Krishna conscious, I'll become Krishna conscious. 
I'll get the, uh, at least, so I think there's no hope for me. I came too late, but uh, there's hope for him. So if he becomes Krishna conscious, then I'm assured to go back to Krishna. In this way, son is called putra, who can, pu means hell and san means uh, to deliver. To deliver the father from hell or from the material world, which is itself like a hell, that is the putra. So the sons, the boy, they should think that not only myself, but my grandparents, my parents, my grandparents, great-parents, but they're all depending, I have to become a devotee, I have to be serious. If I'm not serious, I'll be wasting so much time, I'll regret it in the future. If I can be very serious in Gurukul, very serious in my studies, very serious to become Krishna conscious, understand the philosophy to chant and hear properly, then not only will I perfect this human life, but my parents and grandparents, they'll all be delivered. Even one parents in Maya, the son can deliver that parent by just being himself or herself Krishna conscious. So, in this Kali Yuga, there's so many bad qualities, but there's the one good quality, that's chanting Hare Krishna. Hastigyaka Mahanguna, Kirtanareva Krishna It's very difficult to be materially successful in the real sense. What they call material success now is actually insignificant because someone amasses so much paper money, but they can never achieve any peace, a real type of happiness of that standard. It's very difficult to achieve that because of so many difficulties. Because there's so many difficulties and dangers and fears and anxieties. It's very hard to get any kind of material happiness in the mode of goodness in this fallen age of color. Little bit of happiness and passion, ignorance one can get in the mode of goodness. It's very hard to get any kind of happiness, which is the only peaceful happiness in this material world. But it's easy to get spiritual happiness in this Kali Yuga. It's easy to transcend this material world in this Kali Yuga because of Krishna Kirtan, because of chanting the holy name of Krishna. In India and the people they are very expert in how to stay very happy, just like demigods on this world. So many people, flower power, this and that, they all want, you know, just like demigods on this planet. But they cannot stay out of tamasic and rajasic passion ignorant activities. Because the power of this Kali Yuga is so powerful that it's very hard to stay on the platform of goodness. But it's easy to come up to the spiritual platform of pure goodness by chanting Hare Krishna. That facility is there. But the goal of that facility is to get out of the material world. In this Kali Yuga, there's no way of making a permanent solution that will last even for a considerable period of time. It's too much uh, unpredictable in Kali Yuga. But by chanting Hare Krishna, one can go back to Godhead very easily in Kali Yuga. Easier than one could in the Sati. Well, it's so easy to live like demigods on earth and other ages, people would think, well, this is all right. 
there's no much problem, there's not much problem, there's not much difficulty. Why bother about uh, going back to Godhead? In due course. But now we can see the urgency. We can see how rotten the material nature gets. How easy it will be to fall into complete ignorance and passion. It's very easy to see that in this Kali Yuga. And at the same time, the door to go back to Krishna has opened by the mercy of Nitai Gora Chandraki. You should take up the holy names and chant. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Dityananda Siyadvaita Gadamara Sivasri Gaur Bhakta Vinna Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ram Hare Ram 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 Hare Hare Get on the train. Everyone go back to Godhead. Hare Why not? <laughs> yes? Krishna conscious intelligence. In material intelligence, one may tend to uh, choose that which is more bodily conscious. But in spiritual intelligence, one can't go wrong. The wife and children are soldiers but they are considered to be fallible soldiers because one can not always depend on them. They won't always be present. They won't always give the proper advice in one sense. But if a person is Krishna conscious, you see, then of course that soldier can help one and defend one from so many attacks of maya. All one can try to do is to <clears throat> be Krishna conscious and thus one can be a uh, great source of uh, intelligence if one is Krishna conscious. Material intelligence is not the qualification for Krishna consciousness. A person may be less materially intelligent, but may understand Krishna consciousness because of a higher spiritual intelligence. Or one may be more intelligent, but due to being falsely proud, may neglect to be Krishna conscious. So Krishna consciousness is not only dependent upon a material intelligence, it's dependent upon surrender, upon a type of different type of spiritual intelligence which is not always connected to material intelligence. Often we've seen just more or less off the record 
that in a husband-wife situation that sometimes uh, when the husband is down, the wife seems to be up spiritually. And sometimes when the wife seems to be a little down, the husband seems to be up. This way, often they can help each other. But disastrous is when both are down. <laughs> at least if one or the other is up at any given moment, then they have a chance. And of course, if both are Krishna conscious, then you've got a very wonderful situation. But uh, if both are trying to be Krishna conscious, then you have a better chance of at least one being Krishna conscious. And if both are Krishna conscious, then <clears throat> you can fix yourself very strongly in doing whatever is more pleasing to the spiritual master and Krishna. If one has a handicap, then how much harder one has to work to overcome it. In sports and other things, <clears throat> some people have handicaps. They may not be as tall or they may not be as uh, as fast or something in some competitive sports, but then they'll try to make up for the ones that aren't as tall. They may be faster. They may jump higher in basketball or something like that. So there might be a little bit of disadvantage sometimes, but one tries to overcome that by focusing on the other strong points. If a woman lacks in one area, they have advantages in other area that if they uh, cultivate their being surrendered and humble to the will of Krishna, to being enthusiastic, having good memory, other type of qualities which may be there in the woman, then uh, that can be a very good purpose. But if the natural qualities of humility and other things don't remain there, then of course uh, it becomes more and more difficult to overcome the handicap. <coughs> Everyone has got handicaps and everyone has got good qualities. So one has to know how to take advantage of whatever good qualities are there and thus one can overcome handicaps. There's nine practices of devotional service. Just as one only has to do one properly, you can succeed. Similarly, there are so many qualities of a human being. If you can just fully perfect one in the devotional service of Krishna and uh, neglecting to engage the other ones in my service, then even that one quality can deliver one completely to pure Krishna consciousness. Is that all right? Yes? I've heard it said that in this age, the devotee and the demons are in the same body. So in our preaching work, how can we make the distinction? The devotee and the demons? I'm not sure the reference on that, but I've been told that. I've heard devotees that in Kali Yuga, the devotee and the demons are the same body. We have stages there on different planets and different countries. Like that. Is there some stage walking? Have you heard that anyone? Yeah. Well, the first is that, that the um, potential for being divine acts is within us. You know, as well as the potential for being a devotee. <sighs> The human beings are 
the lowest uh, denominator. I mean, the human beings on this planet, you know, what do you call them? What's the, like, the Latin name? Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens are considered to be, you know, the, uh, the lowest uh, denominator in, in the broad uh, uh, human species that's mentioned in the, uh, in the Vedas. Demigods and demons and others, they're also, in a sense, type of uh, Purushas. They're also <clears throat> within that broad category of human species, but they're much more powerful. The demigods are hundreds and thousands of times more powerful, and the demons are just a hair less powerful than the demigods. Now, the human beings in this age, because they don't perform sacrifice, they're more subjected to be, uh, become prey to the influence of the demons. In previous ages, because the human beings would perform sacrifices, they would follow the brahmanas, therefore the religious principles would protect them from demonic influences. The whole Brahminical culture, the whole Varnashram culture was based upon... Uh, was based upon uh, sacrifice. The ordinary human being is considered to be just, you know, number one in power, then ghosts are ten times more powerful than than others are ten, and it's all it's described in the Bhagavatam, how each one is ten times more powerful, but the Brahmana is so powerful that even, uh, so uh, worshipable, even Krishna himself worships the Brahmana. So a human, when he's second born, when he's, made into Brahmana when he's performing sacrifice, then he's considered to be even more powerful than the demigod. Even the demigods would fear to be cursed by a Brahmana. Just like when Vishwamitrabai, he was a Kattriya by birth, but by various austerities he became a Brahmana, he became a Rishi. So, uh, he created a whole duplicate Indra Loka, Swarga Loka. So Indra had to request him please to retract it. And he agreed to various requests that Vishwamitra made. So Brahmanas were very powerful. And the Kali Yuga, that type of uh, Brahmanical culture has, dis that has disappeared. But a person can become a Brahmana by practicing Krishna consciousness, although he may not be qualified, may be qualified technically to perform Vedic rituals, but no other ritual is authorized in the Kali Yuga except for the Hari Nam Sankirtan Jagya. And worshipping the deity under the Pancharatri system. So these are the two sacrifices that Krishna conscious Brahmanas perform. So they can Kirtan. <laughs> they can uh, protect people from demonic influence. If the pe that's why Prabhupada wanted to establish Brahmanas in society. Brahmana means that he is supposed to be free from demonic influence by constantly performing Vishnu Jagya. If you form the sacrifice of chanting Hare Krishna, then you keep the demonic influence at bay. And if you neglect to perform your sacrifices, if you neglect to act in Krishna consciousness, then yes, in this Kali Yuga, the demonic influence are very strong and they can overtake one. 
a brahmana stops to act as a brahmana, then he no longer gets the shelter of being a brahmana. When one is initiated, then he has the responsibility of acting very strictly as a brahmana, and by doing so, then one can remain free from demonic influences. To the extent that one does not neglect his uh, <coughs> sacrifices, and this is what the society needs to be saved from demonic influence. They need the guidance of qualified brahmanas. Not brahmanas by birth or brahmanas by brahman threats, but brahmanas by their behavior and by their samskaras, by their activities. Yes? It seems like such a small percentage of people are actually able to appreciate the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. So in, their, in that regard, should, is that when emphasis should be placed on Prashadam distribution and Harinam Kirtan, the people, you know, people are so degraded. Yena tena prakarena krishna mana nivoshate. That <clears throat> Rupa Goswami said, by whatever means you can get a person to become favorable and accept Krishna, you should employ that means. So, Krishna Prashadam, if they accept Krishna Prashadam and chanting, then that's our process. They accept literature, that's our process. <clears throat> the message is the same, but uh, the packaging may slightly vary according to the person receiving it. We know that in 1969 there were various ways that chanting was presented and 75 is presented another way, maybe in 82 it will be presented another way to different people. But uh, our books are the same and ultimately the teachings are the same, but in the initial presentation, so that people will take part in it, it may be explained from a different angle of view. So that the people can understand it. Krishna consciousness being absolute, you can look at the sun from Mount Everest, you can look at the sun from Death Valley. The sun is visible from different angles. So because we have the absolute vision, we can present Krishna consciousness from the angle of the person that we're talking to, so that they can understand. But because we have the whole picture, you see, it doesn't, doesn't affect us. And gradually, once they can see Krishna from one angle, then you can start to educate them that there may be other angles also. So then they can relate with other people around the world in Krishna consciousness. Somehow or another you have to get them out of body consciousness. Once they realize that they're not the body, then Krishna is no longer foreign. As long as they think they're a Lynchburg hick, (laughs) <laughs> then, then they can't figure out why anybody would follow uh, Hindu Hindu something or this or that. If they realize that they're not the body, that they're neither a Lynchburger or a hamburger or, or a Lindberger or anything else, that they're, <clears throat> that they're actually a pure spirit soul, then... Uh, but to understand that requires a little bit of spiritual 
strength. So that can be built up by naturally taking prasadam, by chanting Hare Krishna, by associating with devotees. First, if one associates with devotees, then one can practice devotional service. If they already are being able to chant, take prasad, that's very advanced. <coughs> Generally, first they have to have enough faith just to just to just to go to a devotee, just to uh, just to, just to uh, tolerate standing next to one. <laughs> right? Then, if they associate with the devotee, then they build up the faith that when you give them prasad, you tell them to chant that they'll do it. Then, as the, that's already the beginning of anartha nirviti. Then as they start to practice more and more, then they accept the shelter of bona fide spiritual master, then they become nishta. They become fixed in devotional service. So first thing is to get them to associate with the devotees and to be able to relate with them as, uh, as people without the devotees coming down to their level completely. I mean, in terms of, you know, can't break principles or anything. And then... Uh, Engage those people in taking prasad and chanting and Krishna conscious activities. I hope never. <laughs> Dan, so the Sanskrit name. Did you know that Dan was a Sanskrit name? It means charitable. <laughs> Dham. Charity. <laughs> One who gives for the higher cause. Dhani. Dham is giving charity. So you give your energy to Krishna. Krishna will benedict you. That will help the devotees to stay devotees and the non-devotees to become devotees and yourself to remain at his shelter. Haribo! Haribo! Haribo!